Zero is accounting software that has all the features small business owners need to run a business successfully. To help ensure business success, Zero also partners directly with accounting and bookkeeping firms, giving them a suite of tools and training to become Zero experts to help them and confidently advise businesses. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Zero, later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, Visit earmarkcpe.com, download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. This is Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast where the heroes are more likely to have slide rules than sidearms. I'm Caleb Newquist. And I'm Greg Kite. Greg, do you remember what episode three of our illustrious podcast was about? I do. It was episode three was all about fraud. Correct. Yay. Well well done. Well done. Uh, But do you actually remember which fraud it was about? It was episode three. Let's see. Episode one was printer toner pirate king. Episode Correct. two was about the guy at my work who stole all the money. And episode three was Pappygate. Pappygate. I'm checking my notes. Close enough. Actually, <laughs> actually, folks and Greg, it was the municipal fraud in Dixon, Illinois. I, kn- I knew that. I just didn't want to give the right answer. Oh, I mean, I understand. Oh, you want? Were you one of those kids in school that would sabotage themselves from oh, time to time? I, I'm still the person at work who. Sta- I mean, yeah, I sabotaged myself from time to time in school, and I'm kind of I have regrets. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, yeah, it was the municipal pro- <laughs> it's the municipal <laughs> fraud in Dixon, Illinois, and part of the research that we did, both of us, uh-huh. is we watched the documentary about that fraud. It's called all the queen's horses and it's a great documentary if you haven't seen it if you haven't listened to episode three of this podcast you should go do that because today uh we have the producer and director of that documentary kelly richmond pope she's our guest and i'm excited about it greg yeah and and kelly just a little background kelly she is a professor in the School of Accountancy at MIS at DePaul University. Uh, and she also has a book coming out in March of 2023 called Fool Me Once, Stories and Lessons Inside the Trillion Dollar Fraud Industry. And we had a great time talking to her about her work and about the research that she's done in various other areas, especially with uh, with whistleblowers and obviously specifically about the fraud with Rita Crundwell in Dixon, Illinois. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I'm not quite sure what she if she knew quite what to make of us at first. I don't know if you got that vibe. I, I absolutely did, got that vibe where it was did like... You, did you get that like, vibe too? Are, are we having fun or are we not... We're not having, not having fun. Yeah. Not having fun. <laughs> and, but by the end of it, uh, I would say... I don't think she still quite knew what to make of us, but anyway, <laughs> right, right. It was still, I think it was a, it was a good conversation and um, yeah, there, there are links to a lot of her, uh, her stuff in the show notes. 
including uh, TED Talks, uh, writings she did. She was, a, she was a writer at Forbes for a while. And of course, the documentary and her website, kellyrichmondpope.com. Greg, anything else to add before we jump into this pleasant conversation? Not at all. Let's uh, let's jump in and let's uh, let's listen to our engaging interview with Kelly Richmond Pope. So, uh, so Kelly, so glad to have you on the podcast, and thanks so much for taking time out to come and to uh, to let us pick your brain about fraud and and uh, whistleblowers and snitches. I don't use that word. <laughs> you don't. Oh, There's I a can't. whole lot of words. There's right. a whole lot of. I watched. I watched the TED Talk. You've got a lot of four letter words for whistleblower, <laughs> right? Um, I do. Yeah, yeah, and we a hundred percent swear on this podcast constantly. Right. So you you can totally drop those here if you if you want. Oh, I meant four letter words in the sense that there are words that are associated with whistleblowers that you have a problem with. That's what I was saying. Not actual curse words. I think I do. I think I have yeah. a problem with them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. All yeah. Right. But but the reason why. Because both Caleb and I watched your TEDx talk, but the listeners may or may not have. T- tell us, give us a quick rundown of why why you why you don't like snitches and uh, other epitaphs for for whistleblowers. Well, I think what it does is it discourages any of us from wanting to be one because we all want to be part of the group. We all want to be the most valuable person in our group, and. If you use names like that, you end up shutting people down and we don't want to shut them down. We actually want to encourage them to come forward and say information because they have a lot of a lot of valuable information to share. So, um, you know, we don't want that to happen. Right. So and another question I had based on your TEDx talk that you gave and because this is something that I that I've gotten into uh, several times in different presentations and conversations that I've had is the the interplay between ethical behavior and loyalty and getting down to the the just just a judgment call of is cuz cuz you talk about how that if people are whistleblowers that I, I think if I tell me if I'm getting this wrong but you said a whistleblower might end up being chronically unemployed or underemployed because they're seen as someone who's disloyal, even though they stood up for the truth. So is loyalty a virtue or is loyalty not a virtue? Um, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and it, it, the question is, should it depend on who you ask? Right. Right. Uh, right. But I do, but I do think that um, it's still a virtue. Yeah. Depending on the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Still a virtue. Right. Well, and I and I kind of because because it's funny, I had a I had a very substantial fraud in the business that I work in and I I walked into it when I first got uh, hired by the company. The the boss had uh overpaid himself over a number of years and had uh had the CPA firm reclassify the overpayments as a loan from the business to him. But there was no loan document supporting it. There was never any repayment of the debt. And when I get in there, because he hired me, I was his guy. I was I was his accounting department of one, and it and loyalty was very clearly a, an important thing 
to this guy. And, uh, but I was, I had to, I had to make sure everything was very clear to the members of the LLC and things like that. So lawyer, so that's why it's, it's kind of a big question for me because I did feel like I was simultaneously standing up for doing something right and, uh, and stabbing my friend in the back. Well, and I think a couple things that you said that are important, and that is when you first walked into the business, you noticed something. And that typically is the experience of a whistleblower. It's the person that is new to an organization that tends to notice something. And the hard part about that is when you're new, you don't have the voice. You don't have your legs under you yet to establish yourself to even say anything. So sometimes what you find is you just get intertwined into that organization. Even though you saw it at first, who are you to say anything? And so it creates this weird kind of tango, if you will, you know, like a rough tango of, I know it, but I'm not going to do anything. I want to do something, but I need this job. No one trusts me. So I'm just going to go along with the gang. Right. Right. And there, and it's, it's funny. I mean, the, the different dynamics that were there, you know, there's even more than that. Cause I can't, I, I got hired away from the firm that was doing the reclassification of these amounts. So I'm kind of going, well, it must be okay. Cause we've been doing it. And the, the, the owners must know about it because yeah, you know, cause it, it needs to be communicated to the owners. And I was like, so this, so, so there was also that confusion it, kind of as being the rookie going, this is, this has obviously been happening. I'm not the first person to know about this. And it uh, apparently it was okay this far. And right. So what are you going to do? What are you going to say? Yeah. And, and, and it was funny because, because finally the tipping point for me with that situation was that it was, was basically this. I think that the guy who is, who's helming the ship of our business, it was a sinking ship and I was in no way going to be the accountant that goes down that, that that go that goes down with the ship at least without I I have to sound the alarm if this ship is going down mm-hmm. and and finally I got to the point where it's like I'd rather be fired for disloyalty than not make sure everybody knows you know than say this is untenable what's happening in our company sure so sure. you had to you had to figure out what side of of history you wanted to be right. on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Of the, of the history that no one would ever know because this is <laughs> tiny little private com- well, company. Well, until it gets made into a movie because those tiny right. little private companies are what we're watching on Netflix and Amazon every night. Right. And if you need to make a documentary about a little tiny LLC, com- I, I've got a good story. <laughs> so I don't know if it'd take a full documentary length time to tell the story. It might. You never know. You never do. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by Zero. If you love listening to this podcast, you've learned that systems and processes could have prevented many of the frauds we've discussed. Having an accounting system like Zero can help a business create the processes it needs so that it can avoid becoming a future Oh My Fraud episode. Zero lets you set up multiple users, each with their own login and password, so you can accurately assign the proper access to each user. When it comes to accounts payable, Zero pushes all bills through a built-in approval process. Zero's expense management tools ensure that employees only get reimbursed for approved expenses. And because Zero connects directly to banks, you can reconcile and match transactions daily to ensure that any money coming and leaving the bank accounts is what you expected. 
To become a Zero partner and gain access to free tools, benefits, and rewards for your practice, head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash zero. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash X-E-R-O. Hey, Kelly, what... um we like to get a sense of how, because we talk to people who either work in fraud or cover fraud, you know, their work is somehow involved with it. So we like to get an understanding of how, how this became your jam, essentially. So do you have like early stories like from your youth or is it something that you fell into? Just give us a kind of the, the journey line, I suppose, of well, you becoming, becoming you. Well, first, um, it really started from trying to innovate my class, my classes, the courses that I teach, and trying to allow students to understand the value of accounting in a way that they had never before. And so that's how it started for me. And I thought that it was important to help students understand the value of the information that they're learning. And fraud, to me, is the absence of solid accounting principles. And that was um, just a hook. But even as a child, uh, one of my neighbors just one day disappeared and went to prison um, for, for, federal, for a federal crime. And this, this individual had everything, you know, worked with an executive at the bank and, mm. you know, just had everything going for him. And I was always fascinated by how does someone make a decision like that? And, you know, so, so a couple of, there are a couple of points in my life that made me think that this is, this is interesting. I think another turning point for me or a tipping point rather was talking to a lot of corporate audiences and they always said, Ooh, I can't wait to hear your, your, your remarks or your presentation so we can hear about them. And really the use of the word them was something that was another triggering point for me because it's not them, it's us. We all could be susceptible to this, all of us. We all can think of a way to, to scheme, scam, defraud anybody. I mean, if I asked you, if I gave you 90 seconds, tell me a good scam, you're probably going to pull something that you've seen that you think that you can get away with. I mean, we all have it in us. Right. And so that, so there are just a couple of points of really trying to help people understand that when I'm talking about fraud stories, I'm actually talking about you because you've thought about it too. You might not have done it, but you thought about it. And so, you know, what is the point that separates us from actually doing it? Which is a very fascinating um fascinating journey for me and yeah. i just wanted to learn more i couldn't get enough of it that's so funny that that whole idea of of uh we've all got a fraud scheme going on i feel like that's that's the like for some reason back well no this this is actually what happened i was in college at the university of washington i just went into a 7-eleven like at the middle of the night and there was another dude there that just a hundred percent just grabbed a pack of gum and walked out of just Walk the hell out of 7-Eleven like no big deal. And and I know that I'm always like going, it'd be so easy to steal this in this retail. You know, I could do that and, and get away with it 100%. Don't do it. I'm not a shoplifter. Haven't done it. But I but I I feel like I kind of go, ooh, that's a that's a thing I could do. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. and then you can 
And you can sort of amp that up because there's somebody for you, it might be, oh, a pack of chewing gum. I don't need it. But for somebody else, it might be a handbag that I can resell for $2,000. Right. And then it might be 15 handbags that I can resell for $2,000. And so it becomes a thing. And so mm-hmm. all of us have a number. We all have a number. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we, and so what's really important that I try to um, push um, not only my students, but people in my session is sessions is think about what your number is because you have one. You do. Yeah. And it might be. $20 million. But for some people, it could be $20. Mm-hmm. So, shit. shit, I don't know my number. <laughs> I'll have to think about that. Now you you've given know, me something. To th- well, I, now I have something to think about. Do you ever, does it ever, because, so do you actually ask people to reveal the number or just to try to silently figure out what it is? Well, silently, you know, silently figure out what it is. Um, yeah. Because I started really thinking about this and asking this question when, um, Rita Cronwell, the the perpetrator of my documentary, yeah, um, when she was sentenced to federal prison, she was sentenced to fifty three years. Um, she was sentenced to twenty years, well, nineteen years and seven months for stealing fifty three point seven million dollars. And when she was released early due to COVID and was released after eight years, the question becomes: If you knew that you only had to serve eight years in federal prison, but you could live like a king or queen. For over 20 years using $53.7 million, would you do it? And there right. are a lot of factors that you might consider. Maybe you're 60 years old and is, you know, maybe you if you could live large from age 20 to 40 and you only had to serve eight years and, you know, your life is pretty much intact. You can go live with a family member afterwards, but you had a ball for 20 years. Would right. you do it? And right. so it's 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 an interesting question because there's this cost benefit analysis that we all are doing every day about everything. Right. When it comes to crime, there's a number that we all have. Uh-huh. And you really have to think about what is yours. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. I get you. Um, so go go ahead, Caleb. Okay, thanks. Um <laughs> one thing <clears throat> we're obviously going to ask you some questions about the movie, but what was there? Was there any, is this something, is this story, what made you choose this story? I think that's the question. Was it just, you're in Chicago, Dixon is in your own backyard. Like what, what, what compelled you to just like get into this story to lean in it, lean into it so hard? I think, um, it was, yeah, it was convenient one because it was close, but that's not what it was really. It was the relatability of the story because I think, what we're seeing right now in the marketplace is relatable stories. No longer are we just seeing the, the, the stories of the athletes and the stories of the multimillionaire executive. We're seeing stories about real people, real regular people. And that is what you're seeing that resonates with people far more than even the story of Magic Johnson or the story of Michael Jordan, as fascinating as they are, they're not us. They're not the, they're not the normal person walking around the street, you know? So it's these stories about real people that we are, that we, we just gravitate towards. And Rita was a salt to the earth, real person. You know, she loved horses. She wasn't a college graduate. She was a high school graduate. And when you think about it, she and it, it's Dixon is small town USA. So yeah. it is it is what 
United States is. I mean, it is the representative of what we are as a country of hardworking people that have graduated from college and have gained skills and work a job and earn a decent living. I mean, that's a lot of people in this country. It's not the person that went to Harvard and then went to the hedge fund and is, <laughs> you know, has a $50 million bonus at the end of the year. That is yeah. not the norm. So I think what we, what, a, what was attractive to this story was the relatability Rita is to me, to you, to your mother, your sister, your brother, your, 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 your son, you know, that's what it was. Right. And so it was just that it was just that. Yeah. yeah, I grew up. I grew up in a small town in in Nebraska, and so and smaller smaller than Dixon for what it's worth. But yeah, there. I just remember watching the doc and thinking, I know these people. Sure you know? you do. Yeah, and like there, that, that's a that is, I think you're right. You're you've hit on it, which is most people can watch this doc and they're like, I either come from a town like this or I've been to towns like this. I have relatives that live in towns like this, and I or- know. I know what that's like. Or you're a member of an organization that feels like this, whether it's church, whether it's a civic yeah. organization, like, you know, something, some aspect of either Rita or some aspect of Dixon resonates with you. Yep. And um, even when I was working, um, I just finished a book that comes out in March. And even with that, I still included stories of people that you can relate to. So it's not just the corporate executive, it's the newly employed intern, it's the it's the Rita Crunwells of the world. So I think that what what we're seeing now is just the relatability. It's why I think true crime is just so explosive now because there are just so many common stories of everyday people that have built themselves or built. Uh, millions out of an organization, you know, yeah. and we just were fascinated. We're addicted. We're thrilled. You know, we just, we just we can't get enough of it. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by SoftLedger. SoftLedger is a real-time cloud accounting software platform that enables accountants, CFOs, and developers to manage multiple entities, integrate with other systems, and close the books faster. SoftLedger has everything you would expect from a cloud accounting app like an adaptable GL, bank feed data, automated AP and AR, financial reporting, and cash flow tools. But SoftLedger is more advanced than other accounting packages on the market as it can handle multi-currency, multiple businesses, properties, investments, sub-ledgers, and SoftLedger is the first full-featured accounting system that supports crypto multi-wallet asset management with seamless integrations to crypto exchanges, giving you real-time transactional crypto accounting and reporting. SoftLedger is fully programmable via their API. This allows your team of developers to create your own accounting functionality or easily connect SoftLedger to other software you may be using. To learn more about using SoftLedger and to get 25% off your first three months when you mention the Oh My Fraud podcast, head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash SoftLedger. 
That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash S-O-F-T-L-E-D-G-E-R. Yeah, I mean, you talking about how we're all capable of this. We do like these stories because if if I may get into the psychological lingo a bit of it, but it's like it's it's our shadow cells, right? There's something dangerous. There's something intriguing about these stories that we can't look away from. We're both horrified and enthralled by them. And I, I mean, I mean, that's how I feel. Um, yeah. And so, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, I mean, it's about it's true crime. it's the it's the way that you can try to push the envelope without actually pushing the envelope. It's almost yeah. like the same reason why we are addicted to reality TV. Now, you think about the birth of reality TV really started when I remember it starting as almost a response to the recession at the time, you know, because we were, there was, there was a dip. And so then what happens? Reality TV, you start going into people's homes and seeing how they live and we're fascinated by it. And then it just got a little bit wilder and wilder and more outrageous. And we couldn't get enough of it. So it's sort of that same thing of like, you're using the term, your shadow self. You know, it's like, what if I flipped over a tape? What does that feel like? Well, she just did it. You know, like you can live through these people without being these people. Right. Yeah. Do do you mind if we, if we dig into the, to the Dixon, Illinois case? Cause, cause Caleb and I have talked about it at length in the past, but I'm I'm confident that you've got access to more information than we ever could possibly uh, gather, and I've got I've got some burning questions myself. And the big one, so so the the main way that Rita stole the money, she diverted it from the city into a uh, an account that the bank thought was a city account, but Rita only had she was only one with control over that account. And which isn't odd, which isn't odd given her role. Right. And 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 it's not odd in ter- if you just look at I mean how many I mean that that's one of the things we talked about when when we've talked about the case uh just ourselves is it's like it's it's kind of pedestrian because you see a lot of secret bank accounts and a lot of frauds. So it's just she got away with it for way longer and got way more money than anybody else. You know, what's interesting about Rita's fraud is as although we call it a secret account, it really wasn't. I mean, when you look at the bank confirmations that um, from some of the documentation from the auditors, the account was listed there. No one paid attention to it. So as as secretive as we want to call it, it wasn't that secretive. She just knew that these people aren't looking at this because everyone trusts me. So it it just it just wasn't paid attention to. Right. So, so with the bank, so I've got a question about the bank. So it was Fifth Third Bank, which was the the bank that that opened this account for. Did they? they and they were sued for a, a, how much money did they have to pay in a settlement um, with the city? Do you remember? I it was lots. They were so um, Clifton Larson Allen paid the most, around thirty four million. Okay. Um, I, and the rest is a million came from. Um, a sole practitioner. So around 40, I mean, 4 million, a little over 4 million they paid. Okay. I think I'm just going off the top of my head. Not. Okay. Well, it's all stuff people could Google and it's just a lot. It was a lot that the bank, it wasn't an insignificant amount of money. The bank had to pay. No, 
did they did they follow the the proper protocols for opening this account? Because I assume they must not have, otherwise they wouldn't have had if they were if they were doing everything the way they were supposed to as a bank, they wouldn't have had to pay any kind of settlement, right? Right. There were there were protocols that they did not follow, but banks, just like every organization, has one thing in common: people work there, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and so. Okay. One of the one of the worst computers in the world are human beings. And yeah. so, you know, they are we can. Hey, Rita, I know you. You don't need to sign the back of this check or you don't need to follow this protocol because I know you. That happens, happens all the time. But it definitely happens in a small town. You oh, yeah. know, it definitely happens when you feel like I know your mother, brother, grandmother, great grandmother. And, and, you know, it happens there. So, yes, there were protocols that the bank didn't follow. And think about this. If we peel back the layers of our, of our lives right now, even today, I'm sure there's a protocol you broke, whether you were speeding today, whether you were checking personal email during work time, whether you use the photocopy machine to make something that wasn't work related. Like if you unravel the layers of your life, you could find about three to five protocols you broke. So I think with the bank, it wasn't as though the bank was egregious in the protocols that they broke. It's just what we do in a day-to-day in operations. Gotcha. That makes sense. So it's almost like they they made they took a shortcut because they felt like it was a safe shortcut to take. Sure. And and again, in the eyes of history, oh no, that was a fifty-three million dollar sure. breach. So mm-hmm. oops, it's- you and same with the auditors. You know, the auditors made a big breach. And, you know, they paid the, the, the lion's share of the um, of the penalty. But, again, they felt as though they trusted this person. They trusted Rita. She kept good books. You know, she was very well organized. So why wouldn't we? You know, right. well, Rita well, is the per- she's the person you want on your team. She's great. She was great at what she did. Right. But, but, and, but that's the whole point of professional skepticism is like, I like you. You're, you're a pal. Did, didn't I hear, I think it was on your, your documentary. Didn't you talk about, did she play on the Clifton Gunderson uh, oh, sure. softball team or something like that? Yeah. Um, so she, professional skepticism is something that is extremely hard to exercise because okay. as soon as you get to know a person, it's the one barrier that just collapses. Okay. You know, and so it's why we have to keep an arm's length distance between our clients, but it's so hard to do that. It's just, it's just really hard until everything becomes automated and there is AI that's used to um, automate this process and there's no human interaction or intervention until that happens. We're going to have these kind of cases and have these kinds of situations. All right, so Clifton Gunderson, the people and, are the problem, Greg. That's I think the lesson that we're going to take away. Yeah, yeah. People. Are, well, people are it, human. If it people weren't all human, these, people aren't the problem. People are just human. We went. Nobody'd steal anything if it weren't for all these humans. So, if a robot controlled the whole process, you wouldn't be able to steal a thing. <laughs> we need robot overlords. That's that's the message, listener. That's the message from Kelly Richmond Pope today. <laughs> <laughs> bring on the robot. Bring bring on Terminator. That's right. Oh, <laughs> you just made my day. Um, so settle an argument. Settle a, 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 It's not a bet. It didn't get to the point of a bet, but an argument Caleb and I had before you got on the the, the interview. Did did 
Clifton Gunderson have the invoices even that Rita was using to divert the money to the to the uh, pri- to the secret account? So I think um, in the short answer, yes. Um, those uh, those receipts those receipts were um, found in the audit files. However, you have to remember that an audit takes a random sample of of files. So don't assume that every file was reviewed. There's a random sample. And from that random sample, we are extrapolating out a theory that we then put into practice. So think about this. Dixon probably generated millions of invoices a a, a year. Just imagine in a 20-year time. Now, Rita had 179 phony invoices. But think about the length of the fraud. This we're talking about 20 years with millions of invoices that were probably generated Mm -hmm. with 179 sprinkled in there. So think about if this is if there's anything better, if there's any better example, it's needle in a haystack, because how in the world are you going to identify what if that phony invoice wasn't in your audit papers? What if it I mean, what if you didn't look at it? That's the first problem. The second thing is the best way to identify something being fraudulent is comparing it to something beside it that's not fraudulent. But if you only have the fraudulent thing, then it's harder. You know, think about if you had a fake $100 bill. Well, a fake $100 bill looks fake beside a real one, but on its own, and you've never seen one before, how do you know it's fake? Right. Gotcha. So you're almost saying... That not only did they have to find one of these uh, 179, which, you know, just doing the the quick mental math, that's less than one invoice per month over the course of the time of the fraud. So not only would they have to just randomly pull that out of a bucket of uh, innumerable invoices, but then you're saying they'd also have, because, but they must have been pulling out normal ones too, but are you just saying that each, each you know, because it was some sort of sewer sewer fund thing so it's almost like they would have had to compare it against the legit sewer fund invoice to go oh here's what's wrong with that yeah i mean so so yeah exactly exactly comparison makes identification of fraud documents easy lack of comparison makes it pretty hard then Mm. the last thing on top of that is you can either even have a very inexperienced younger auditor or on that engagement that may not even know what they're looking for (laughs) Okay. So you put all three of those things together, matched up with a fraudster. I'm betting on the fraudster all day because okay. it's no way that you can figure it out. Gotcha. Did was was Rita was she a mastermind or was she just did she just fall into this? Because again, she started. Well, actually, fact check me on this. Her fraud was for twenty a little over twenty years, but didn't she work for the city for like almost almost forty or over? Almost she, 20 years. She worked for the city almost 20 years. Before before the fraud? No, no. During the fraud years. So she stole and worked. So she might have worked for the city, let's say, 22, 23 years, and the fraud lasted a little over 20. Oh, okay. So she, so, so, so so she's, she's all... She started. She started stealing right away. Then, pretty yeah, pretty soon onto the uh, into her job. Yes. Okay, gotcha. All but right. she also she also started working for the city while in high school. So she had a um an, oh. an insight about um Dixon and Dixon operations. Uh, do I think that she is a mastermind? Absolutely. 
Um, okay. I don't I don't even ha- I don't even know how you can think that someone falls into fifty three million dollars. Right. You know? <laughs> so, so she was a she was a she was a she was an evil genius that was exploiting her role to get fifty three million dollars. OK, wow. Absolutely. All right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you don't you don't have city council meetings that you oversee where people are asking you why we have deficits in the budget and you're just like, I don't know. Or you're putting clip <laughs> art on budget reports saying, you know, budgets with scissors clipping or or a person in a swimming pool with a life jacket almost drowning. You don't do that unless you're a mastermind. That's not a person that just fell into it. You know, like, oh, I noticed that there was an extra $2,500 then I took it. No, I mean... That she's a mastermind. I mean, she was it as complex as something like an Enron scandal or a um, or a money laundering scandal? Is it as complicated as that? No, but you can still be a mastermind over something simple. So let me ask you this: If what's interesting, because I'm listening to that, and that all makes sense to me. What I find fascinating is the part of the story where the FBI comes in and they confront her about it, and she's just like. She just tells them everything they want to hear, like straight away. It was like, is almost if in, in one sense, she may have been relieved that she no longer had to like keep that secret to herself anymore. But at the same time, I just wonder the, 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 what, what's going through her head where she, or, or what's, what's the psychology of just admitting something so quickly without a lawyer present, but also this part of your brain that you're describing, which is. This is a person who was intentional, was malicious, and it was and it was a long running scheme. And she wouldn't ha- she would not have stopped if she had been caught. So I'm j- so I guess what I'm saying is, do you find it interesting that she just kind of confessed so? What's the word I'm looking for? Just so, in in such a straightforward manner. So I don't I, I don't know the answer to that question because I wasn't there. And even though getting recollection from um, the late Mayor Burke about the process, I don't know how easy her confession was. Mm. So I don't know if they asked the question once and she just blurted everything out, if they asked the question three different ways and finally on the third way she said something. So I I don't know enough about the actual experience of when she was sitting in the hot seat, how she responded. So I would imagine that Rita did not divulge information quickly, like because because she's calculated. So she's probably mm-hmm. thinking, you know, how what do they know? What don't they know? And how much should I give at, at this point? She's not dumb. So, mm-hmm. you know, this or maybe she thought just fall on your sword and just say, oh, you know, but but right. I, again, right, I think right. she's Kinda, very calculated. You, you you caught me. Please be please be kind to that kind of thing. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I don't I don't know. And I, I don't I don't want to speculate to say that it was it was fast because there's nothing ten, there's nothing that tends to be fast when the FBI has swarmed a building. <laughs> it, you right. know, like there's a process there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of that too, another, another portion of this that again, I think, I think I didn't know till I watched your documentary was the whole thing where the FBI was like, was surveying her, surveilling her 
for how was it three months, six months? How long was it before they six. actually? According to Kathy Swanson, the whistleblower was six months. And and she stole maybe that's it. Maybe it was six months and she stole another three million dollars in that period of time or so, something like that. Is that yeah, so, yeah. She stole millions while they were watching while her. While they were and, watching her. Yeah. Yeah. Ba- bad idea or good idea? Did was that I I don't I'm not an FBI agent, so I'm just fascinated. They're like, oh no, you, you know, it, it was a good idea. I mean, a good idea, meaning they knew they had a solid case when they arrested her. And that's what you Mm. want. Like the thing about I'll say this, when the FBI comes knocking on your door or you have a a grand um, an indictment has been issued against you, be nervous, because (laughs) what that means is there's enough information, enough evidence to indict you for a crime. And so it's you against the United States. Right. So, you know. You got a lot of fight in you if you think you're going to beat the United States and all of the resources that they can throw to to come for you. Right. So when so, the so when the IRS knocks on my door, I'm like going, "Okay, you've been watching me for at least 6 months and you know, you know my browser history. <laughs> you know, there's been drones outside my window. I'm, I'm I mean, you've been you yeah, I mean, there's there's a reason. You know, the 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 joke that I used to um, not, it's not really a joke, but the IRS doesn't, or not IRS, you said IRS, it's not the IRS, the FBI, FBI does yeah. not ask a question that they don't already know the answer to. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so lie if you want to, <laughs> that's not going to end well. Yeah. No, that you'll just commit another crime. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. There Lying you go. to the FBI. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by Patriot. Patriot software creates accounting and payroll software that radically simplifies the day-to-day complexities that American businesses and their accountants face. Patriot is seamlessly integrated under one login, easy to use and affordable. And they rank number one for ease of use, customer support, features, and value for the money by users. Patriot's accounting software is a cloud-based, full-featured accounting general ledger that gives your clients the simplicity they need, but the power you require. Patriot has patented dual-ledger accounting, so you can quickly switch between cash basis, modified cash basis, or accrual accounting, and a chart of accounts that can have unlimited sub-accounts and nest up to eight accounts deep. Patriot's payroll software lets you run payroll in three easy steps, offers free two-day direct deposit, and their full-service payroll offers a tax filing guarantee. Optional payroll add-ons include Patriot's HR software to maintain paperless employee files, manage company documents, and generate required compliance reports. And Patriot's time and attendance offers an employee portal for manual hour entry or time punches, custom overtime rules, and a seamless integration to Patriot payroll. Accounting professionals can partner with Patriot and receive discounted pricing that increases as you add more clients. Support located in the USA, free co-branding, and free accounting and payroll for your firm. Join thousands of accounting professionals who trust Patriot with their clients' accounting and payroll and get a 30-day free trial. Head on over to ohmyfraud.promo slash Patriot. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash P-A-T-R-I-O-T. 
was Dixon because Dixon got a lot of because they lost fifty three million. Like you said, there was there was somewhere in the order of thirty something million they got back from Clifton Gunderson plus a couple other sources that they got some money back from. Is do you think at the end of the day, Dixon was were they made whole by 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 the recovery of assets and by well and not just by the recovery of assets but also by the lawsuits were they I mean obviously they had twenty two years where they didn't have the services they should have. But then if they they kind of got a windfall later where all this stuff came back to them, were they I mean, how I guess the, the it's, it's the epilogue question. How's Dixon doing nowadays? Well, I think they I think financially they're better, but the erosion of trust is hard to build back, you know, mm. and, and so that's hard for anybody to build back. And so are they are citizens engaged more they're engaged as any citizen is into their local government process because what do most people do they might go out and vote maybe but are they engaged on a day-to-day monthly quarterly basis nope you know so i'm sure dixon is just like every other town and i mean just ask yourself when is the last time you went to a local council meeting and reviewed the financial statements before you got there and stood up at the mic and asked a question Right. And there have been a few times I've gone to city government meetings and then I've regretted my choices and felt like I wasted that entire two and a half hours. But you probably didn't waste it. You probably didn't. Because think about it. This is your money at work. Right. So it might have not felt, but just as you oversee your checking account, this is a this is an overseeing of your money as well. And most of us don't think about it that way. But we really should be as equally engaged in our communities as we are equally engaged in the money that goes into our bank accounts, because Uh this is the money that's coming out of our bank accounts. And we're not even really engaged with how it's being spent. Right. Gotcha. That that makes sense. So one question that Greg and I talk a lot about on our on our podcast is just the notion of justice and whether justice is served in a lot of cases, because, you know, People doing time for financial crimes. In in the case of Dixon, they recouped a lot of the assets. The perpetrator did spend nine years in prison. But as you pointed out, she was sentenced to 19. She lived uh, a very lavish lifestyle for at least twice as long as her prison sentence or the time that she spent in prison. So like when you think about, again, we're kind of in the epilogue phase here, but like when you think about what transpired, the time she did, the money that the city got back. Do you think justice was served in this case? Um, I, I think that justice in the United States is such a loaded and subjective um, concept that I can't even answer it anymore mm. because there are so many injustices that are far greater um, and far that there's so many things that people do that are sentenced that are less in crime, but have more heavily sentenced than than she mm-hmm. is. So mm-hmm. I think that injustice is just embedded in the the fabric of this country. And so it's it's too big it's too big of a question to say, was justice served? Because depending on who you are and where you live, justice means something very different to each individual, you know? So I think, I think at one point 
I could have answered that question clearly, but now um, the the types of issues that we grapple with, the things that we've seen historically over the past three to four years, um, justice is just a word that I don't even know what it totally means anymore. So, you know, to some, maybe she, maybe justice was served, you know, but for a lot of other people, I mean, there are a lot of people that have, have committed far less crimes that are still sitting in federal prison to this right. day and were not granted compassionate release. Is that justice? Right. You know, so it, it's, it's just, you know what I mean when I say it? it's just a very loaded concept because there are so many variables clearly at play that we don't know and we don't understand. No one knows why yeah. Rita was released. No one knows. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. sh- she's the largest municipal fraudster in U.S. history. And she only served a little over half of her sentence. I don't know if you saw the news lately. Um, Martin Shrekelly. Um, oh, yeah. He was released today. Early. Oh, yeah. You know, so again, is justice served? What is it about those that can that can get out of jail early for the things that they've done? Elizabeth Holmes, for example has not been sentenced. Yeah. And her her um trial was delayed because she was having a baby. So there's there is there is grace granted to some, not to others. So I mean there's just so much injustice all around us and you see it. So it's almost like now you just expect it. Right. Well and what you said I think is is Injustice kind of is basically in, embedded in the fabric. It's kind of, or in another way to think about it is it's basically the default setting. Like injustice is is happening all the time, all around us. And so we shouldn't really be surprised by it really at all and, anymore. And, unfortunately, and you're right. It's become, become far more acute in just the last few years. Oh yeah. You know, um, it almost is like these little these cases are just blips, just distractions, because what we're grappling with is so much larger. And, you know, it, it, it's it's just human life is is valued in a very different way, depending on what part of the country you live in. Almost sometimes depending on what gender you are, you know, or what race you are. So, you know, it's hard to say was justice served because Rita got out early. I mean. Most people would say no, but there's so many injustices that there's there's ones much larger than that. Yep, yep, yeah, that makes sense. Um, another another epilogue question: Do you, has Rita spoken at all about what she did, why she did it, and how how she did it? Has she just been completely silent throughout this entire ordeal? She's been completely, completely silent. But one of the things that um, I was very clear about when I was working on my book is your fraud scheme speaks for you. We know what Rita did. We know how Rita did it. And we know the amount Rita took. The only reason, the only thing we really don't know is Rita's why. And we probably wouldn't believe it if she told us. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any speculations on what it is? Yeah, because she could. I mean, it's pretty Uh, simple. Yeah. You know, think think about think back to your life of something that you did just because you could do it. You didn't have to do it. You just could. 
You know, and sometimes there's just a high, an adrenaline rush when you get rid of, get away with something that you probably shouldn't have done, but you did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Hers just happened to be $53.7 million <laughs> worth. Yeah. Well, which also, and there's another question, because, you know, obviously fraud, we're, the fraud triangle is something that's that, that we're always looking at with this. I have the personal belief that pressure's always there because we're humans and we want money, we want stuff. It's there's a now obviously there's different there's different amounts of pressure because if you're a, if you have a gambling problem and you're down by thousands of dollars and and some guys with no necks are coming to break your kneecaps, that's more pressure than just going, "Oh, money's good. I want more of that." Do it I when I look at this case, I feel like this is a perfect example of somebody just wanting money because having money's cool. Is that your take on it as well? There, there really wasn't excessive pressure other than temptation, just general I, or, temptation. Or, just, or I just wanted it. Yeah. You know, I wanted right. it. I took it. They'll be fine. I can make ends meet. I can make this town still survive. And I just want this. Yeah. And a lot of us can rationalize things like that. Yeah. A lot of us can do that. And that's and that goes back to something we discussed earlier is it's not them. Read is Rita is not a them. Rita is a us. She's a me. She's a you. She's a you. She's she she has the same makeup as all of us do. When I'm in class, one of the things that I like to say when I talk about this case is I use this analogy. And that is what if you saw a safe with the door open, with money just flowing out of it, just sitting in the middle of your street. How many of us are going to walk by before we take a five, take a 10, or just start stuffing our bags, right? Uh, yeah. That's what Dixon represented to Rita. Mm. And so most of us would present it with a temptation like hers might, might do the same thing. The difference is most of us don't have the temptation. Uh, right. And that that there lies the difference is I think about myself. I don't have a business credit card. So there's no mistake that I can ever make that I'm going to pick up the wrong business, the wrong credit card and go shopping with it or take a friend out to dinner with it because I don't have that temptation. I don't even have the option to contemplate. But it's when you have those options in front of you, what are you going to do? Right. And so one of the things I try to do in class or in training workshops with people is dangle temptation in front of them so they can think about it organically, realistically, what they actually would do. Right. You know, it, that's, what, that's what you have to do. Is there a way that you actually dangle temptation in front oh, of them? Yeah. What I do could, you do? I mean, I, I can create all kinds of scenarios. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes, and I, I've thought about doing this. I haven't done this before, but I so want to. I want to take a $100 bill and then just leave it in someone's chair and see if anybody turns it in. You oh, know, like, yeah, I, yeah. I want to say that. And then, you know, at the end, say, you know what? You all aren't as ethical as you think you are because nobody gave me that money back. You know, like, I want to <laughs> right. I want to show people that this type of, of, of mentality is around us all. All of us have right. Gotcha. But I've never done that one. But I want to. <laughs> okay, uh, Caleb, I got I got one more I got one more Rita Crunwell question. Okay, uh, w- do you have any idea? Because 
one of the news stories is that she got out of jail and she and she went back to Dick, she lives in Dixon again. And any idea why in the world she did that or what would a got any sure. speculation? Her brother lives there, so she lives with her brother now. So, um, yeah, that's it. Um, nothing. I mean, you got to go home somewhere, and that's I, where family is, right? Do, I would never. If it was me, I'd be so ashamed. Think about Yes, you might be, and, and she might be too, but think about this. You are 67 years old. Your brother might even be in his 70s. Hmm. You're going to sell your house, move hmm. to another town, find a new job, and learn somewhere new. All your doctors, your friends. I mean, you don't uproot like that. So, yeah, she might be embarrassed, but what's she going to do? Okay. Where, I mean, where's she going to go? <laughs> See, yeah, and I guess different people are different ways because I'd still be just so... You know, it, it, for me, it'd be mo- I'd be motivated enough to go. Yeah, I get, I'll find. I have to find new doctors and new no, new support structure. No, but you, you really so? aren't going to do that. Mm-mm. I don't know. Find hey, a new doctor is right. Well, we'll yeah. we'll get back. We'll we'll get back together and compare notes after I get out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> um, not, I mean, it's it's just that that's the thing. Like, just push yourself to think a little bit further about it. Yes, she's probably embarrassed. She probably feels bad. But what is she going to actually do? You know, her brother's going to sell his house and say, okay, we're going to move to Fargo, North Dakota now. And I still work at the local plant or I still, I mean, no, no one's doing that. Right. You and, know? I, and I guess that's the case. She's coming out. She's got no resources. She's got no assets. She is going to be relying on family to, yeah. to survive. Yeah. And so she goes where family is. That, that makes sense. I get yeah. it. Yeah. And, okay. and and I can tell you this. My brother called me and said, I'm, I'm coming home. And he did something like Rita. He's just going to have to deal with it to be at home right. because yeah. I'm not moving <laughs> to help him. I mean, it right. doesn't make any sense, you know? Right. Okay. I get that. I'm on board. <laughs> do you do you um do you have any like hope that she that you will get to talk to her or hope that she talks to someone like do you do you do you want to know her side of the story i know her side of the story okay <laughs> i mean you know hey but like her her version of it i think is what i'm saying like in her own words or are you I satisfied i mean it, hey if rita wants to talk to me then a game on let's talk but I mean, that's what's with the beauty of fraud is fraud speaks for you. And that's the Mm. beauty of it, because your movements, your transactions are your story. That is that is your voice. And that's what makes, I think, accounting so powerful is it tells a story. And so I don't necessarily need Rita to explain much to me. Because that bank statement explains a lot. Okay. You know, yeah. that wire transfer, that credit card statement, that purchase, that receipt explains the horse arm. everything. It <laughs> explains a lot. So what is she going to tell me that I don't already know? Is right. she going to tell me, oh, I did it because I love that black horse over there? I mean, okay, that's clear. You bought it. You know, like, you know, yeah. like, so her, that's the beauty of, I think, crime is it it tells you it speaks for you it's the reason why detectives go and they find all the evidence and they can put the story together without ever talking to you and why you get an indictment slapped in your face because your transactions were documented and they spoke for you as your voice got it that's all yeah that absolutely makes sense to me as we as we're wrapping up here 
I've got I've got two two little just just nuts and bolts question. You've talked a couple times about a book that you got that's that's being released. At, did you say in March this coming March? March, yeah, March twenty twenty three coming what, soon. What's the t- what? T- tell us what's the title. Let's 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 sell some. <laughs> let's move some paper here. Yeah, the title is "Fool Me Once: Stories and Lessons Inside the Trillion Dollar Fraud Industry." Nice. So is it Ooh. is it? Do you look at just a bunch of different cases and unpack them in the book or? Is it- I do. Um, I, I, um, first of all, I use the Dixon story as really the spine of the book. Okay. And, um, and I came up with these, um, a fraud archetype where I talk about there's different types of perpetrators, there's different types of victims, and there's different types of whistleblowers. And really, it's not a memoir, but it's more of a reflection of all the white collar felons, whistleblowers, and victims of fraud that have either visited my class or that I've done an interview with, and why I'm on this emotional roller coaster around some of them. So when it comes to perpetrators, there's three types of perpetrators. There's intentional perpetrators, there are noble perpetrators, and then there are accidental perpetrators. And Rita Cronwell is an intentional perpetrator, someone that sets out to defraud. But those accidental perpetrators and noble perpetrators are the ones that pull on our heartstrings because... An accidental person is like, oh, you know, I was just trying. My CFO told me just to make the numbers work and I did this transaction just to help the company out. And this noble perpetrator is somebody that does something to try to help a friend, a spouse. You know, they try to use their company to help somebody externally in their lives. And so it's why some people we just hate and other people's we can empathize for. Mm. With the victim category, there's two types. There's organizational targets, which is when a perp um, hones in on a bank, that bank tends to be their organizational target. And then they're innocent bystanders. Dixon residents were innocent bystanders. They didn't know what was coming. You know, they're just going, doing their day to day and someone steals their tax dollars. That's an innocent bystander. And then with whistleblowers, you also have three types. You can have an accidental whistleblower, you can have a noble whistleblower and you can have a vigilante whistleblower. So when we talked earlier about a snitch or a rat or a tattletale, those are vigilante whistleblowers. But there are these other two categories that we can empathize for in a different way. Kathy Swanson was an accidental whistleblower. She was just doing her job and then stumbled upon this, really by accident. And a noble whistleblower is somebody that is, is doing their job but speaks out, but speaks out and faces op- opposition. And so I've talked to people in all these categories. And then the, the vigilante is the person that just doesn't mind their own business, but they speak out for, for justice. So they might have noticed that group down the hall is doing something and I'm going to report it. You could have kept your mouth shut and not said anything, but you did because you believe in justice and they are the vigilante group and they get the bad rap. So that's where the book talks about with the Dixon story being the spine of the book and the experiences of looking at that case and then all these other fraud stories. So that's how the book is done. Cool. And it sounds like it's not necessarily like it's not a it's not a textbook. It's a no, it's a book for knuckleheads like that just like reading a good true crime read. Yeah, it's very it's very approachable. So I, I didn't want to write an academic textbook yeah. but it is there, there's learning but it's relatable i mean something that 
attracted me to documentary filmmaking and the Dixon story, like we discussed, is its relatability. And so I wanted the book to feel relatable. I wanted you to see yourself or someone you knew or your organization inside of the stories. Right. What? And, and tell me the name of the book one more time. Fool Me Once. Fool Me Once. Nice. And March then, 2023. I, I got everybody. one. This is my last question, Kayla. If you got more, pile on after this. But Kelly, what's your number? What do we got? <laughs> is it, my number, is it more, more or less than 53.7 million? <laughs> I think it's more than that, man. Is it? <laughs> but you know, your number can mean a couple things. Is it what's your number to steal or what's the minimum time you're willing to do in, t- in jail? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay so do you, do you know what's your number if, it's, if you get away scot-free? Oh, man. With no no consequences. You go, this is the perfect crime. No one's going to discover me. I'm, I'm I in, guess I'm I, I, I can't answer because I know I feel like somebody <laughs> will discover, you know? Okay. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. So uh, probably $100 right. million, dollars, I guess. $100 okay. million. All right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I can't do anything wrong because there's cameras everywhere. <laughs> so I will, I will go to jail. <laughs> and not pass go. <laughs> right. Exactly. Kelly. Oh, awesome. Th- thanks for your work. Yeah. Thank you. So that was fun, Greg. That was a blast. There was, yeah. I mean, and, and we covered so much territory with her as well. A little, a little more than I, you know, g- going into it, I was thinking we're just going to be hammering through the the Rita Crunwell case again. But we we got to. I, I feel like we got into a lot of real thoughtful ideas. What were some of the what were some of the big points that stuck out to you, Caleb? Yeah, a few things come to mind. Uh, first was her motivation for choosing this story I thought was really interesting. And that was, you know, that it was a relatable story. Yeah. And I think I think that's right. I think a story about small town in the middle of the country that doesn't involve like, you know, hedge fund managers doing insider trading or big right corporate, you know, financial reporting frauds and, you know, anything with Enron, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, it, Fraud in a way, frauds like that, th- th- they have a certain distance to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't really, it's hard, I think, for regular people, even us probably, mm-hmm. and we're accountants or erstwhile accountants, whatever. <laughs> uh, Speak for it's yourself. Hard to, yeah. True. Fair. It is kind of hard. They, they they seem like they're happening a long way off. Yeah, and like you to the to the extent that we understand them and we talk about them, even on a podcast. There's something about Dixon when you watch that documentary and you see the people and you you hear them talking about and they're talking about their town and there is something you kind of your heart kind of goes out to them in a completely different way. Whereas you know. Um, you know, when there's a financial, when there's a big accounting fraud, you're just like, oh, that controller was a dummy, you know, and that's it. <laughs> that's kind of the end of it. The last thing, and I think this is more of a general, well, I think, I think it's, I think it's relevant for this segment of the show, which we, we, we talk a lot about justice and I asked Kelly about justice in this particular yeah. case. And she just made a really good point. That's like, injustice seems just basically embedded in our society. Yeah. Uh, and there people people who uh engage in wrongdoing are often not held accountable and people who uh are are who who play by the rules and do things as they should bad things happen to them and i mean 
that's the way it feels for sure. But also we see it, we see it all the time. There's injustice all the time. Yeah. And, you know, so the concept of it in the relation to how we talk about the podcast, I kind of think I've changed my view on it a little bit, Greg, I'll see what you think about this, but like, rather than talking about the concept of justice, which I think we still could, we could still definitely have some interesting conversations around that. But I think it, in terms of like, I think it might be more accurate to think about these things in terms of accountability. So yeah. like we're perpetrators held accountable. We're in this case, we're the, we're the, the people at the city of Dixon was there encounter. We talked about that in episode three, we talked about the accountability that they, you know, that they uh, had. And yeah, I think accountability in terms of, you know, you have a person who carries on a fraud for 22 years, they serve a prison sentence that's less than half of that. Is is that accountability? And the question, and I think in my mind, when I think about accountability, ugh, I kind of, I'm kind of not sure if that is the you know, if it, if that's equitable or if that's, if like the equilibrium is back where, you know, if, if Dixon is made whole monetarily and Rita served nine years of a 22 year sentence or no, I'm sorry, nine years of a 19 year sentence. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to pin down. It's a hard, like I, I go back and forth on these questions a lot, but I think Kelly's right in that there's so much injustice. It's really hard to even like have a, a, clear understanding of what actually is justice. And so right. And that, that's kind of what I was noodling on. Yeah. And to, to, to me, I mean, this, this concept is, is going to be just, I mean, buckle up just so that you're aware, Caleb, I'm not oh. going to let go of the, the idea of exploring of whether or not justice was served, because I think okay. that whole concept's fascinating. And I do think oh, yeah. that, that Kelly brought an interesting aspect into it. Cause this is how I interpreted what she said. It wasn't, it, what she was, uh, this is how I took it, is it wasn't so much her going, was justice served in Rita Crundwell's case? It was almost like there are such other just gross injustices in, on earth that it's yep. almost like who fucking cares right, about right. this thing in, in Dixon? It, like there's, there's injustices that so massively eclipse anything like this where it's just like mm -hmm. oh that so a town didn't get their potholes filled for 20 years boo hoo hoo there's there's you know in the in this last month there were 22 mass shootings so we don't we kind of don't give a crap um right that that's that's a lot of what i took which i do think is a it's almost like a like relativity of injustices that were yep. happening where it's almost like this, if, if justice wasn't served, then that was an injustice that society endured because of Rita Cronwell. But yeah, compared to other injustices that we see around us, it's, it's inconsequential. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a garden variety injustice. Right. <laughs> Well, all right, guys. That's a that that wraps up another uh, incredibly exciting and insightful episode of Oh My Fraud. And and folks, as you go out there, just remember what Kelly said. Everybody, including you, has got a number. And also remember that Greg's number is like twenty dollars. <laughs> it's very low. Yeah, <laughs> Greg, where are you on the internet? Uh, oh, I, I'm uh, just my name. 
If you go to Google and you just type in Greg Kite, I will come up. Uh, the main channel's Twitter. I'm at Greg Kite and LinkedIn, Greg Kite CPA. You'll find me. Just make sure you spell Kite with a Y instead of an I. Caleb, how about you? Uh, also Twitter, also LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Uh, my handle is at C Newquist and LinkedIn is my full name, Caleb Newquist. Nice. Oh, my fraud is written by me, Caleb Newquist and Greg Kite. Our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave us a review or share it with a friend and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Join us next time for more avarice, swindlers, and scams from stories that will make you say, oh, Oh my my fraud. fraud.